Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. In the age of online retail, buying a car should be no different. That's why Carvana invented a brand new way to buy a car that's 100% online. Without leaving the comfort of your couch, you can browse and buy from their selection of almost 20,000 cars. And once you've made a purchase, your car comes to you, delivered right to your door. Or you can pick it up from one of their coin-operated car vending machines. All of Carvana's cars come with a seven-day return policy ensuring you get a car that fits perfectly with your life. Not happy? Exchange it or return it for a full refund. And with its dedication to customer service, it's why hundreds of thousands of customers have ditched the dealership and given Carvana 4.7 stars in customer satisfaction. So check out the nation's fastest-growing auto retailer at Carvana.com. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. brand new episode of the witching hour i am perry nemroff this right here is Haley fouch Haley, I'm, I'm digging the shirt today is it unicorns yes it is oh it's making me happy happy magical friday that's what fridays are <laughs> they're magical and they're wonderful and they lead us into the weekend yeah whenever we tape on friday i'm definitely in my comfiest clothes um pretty good like i'm just always in my comfiest clothes now <laughs> um this is a little side story, but next week we're publishing that Yvonne Strahovski uh, ladies night. And at the very end of it, like she, she showed, uh, she showed me, she was wearing like, I don't know, like, like silly comfy socks. Like I had on a pair of, and like, you know, we're dressed properly from the waist up, but I had on a pair of like, like New York Yankee fuzzy pajama pants. <laughs> and it's just <laughs> Let's see if I'm capable. I have some very shiny pants on. Yes. I like those. I'm just wearing boring black sweatpants. I went full unicorn. I was like, I need the pink glitter. (laughs) I feel like there should be some sort of like, like a more formal embracing of like quarantine Zoom interview, like pants, maybe, or wardrobe. Like, I, f- I feel like the sweatpants and that whole thing doesn't get as much love and attention as it really deserves. Well, it's it's like what we used to have on phoners, except you have to be okay from up here. But, like, everyone always knew the score on phoners. You were both in your pajamas. Of course. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> all right. As much as I want to talk about my sweatshirts and sweatpants all day long. <laughs> We have some topics to get to today. We have um, a little bit of, I guess, breaking news to touch on up top. And then Haley and I are going to dig into a new piece that I just published on Collider.com. Every James Wan movie ranked from worst to best. I'll do my disclaimer before we discuss that when we actually get to it. But do you want to fill everyone in on what's going on with uh, Halloween Horror Nights this year? Oh, yeah. I just wanted to touch on it because it's always one of my favorite things of the year. And um, it's canceled this year, which is understandable. Uh, And it's, I mean, it's interesting because 
they're open in Florida, right? So I'm curious what it was about that event that was not doable. Maybe it was nighttime or the people in the costumes. They have people in costumes. Yeah. I do wonder if it also is uh, like a, a decision based on potential forecasts regarding how things progress. Right. You know, I'm sure to hold an event like that, it's, you know, a whole additional cost other than the typical operational fees involved. And, you know, if if things aren't going swimmingly for them with this reopening right now, maybe right. it's kind of a cut our losses situation and don't risk adding that extra chunk to our to our park schedule. I could see that. And it is a bit more of a a raucous event with people yes. rushing up on you, getting in your physical space. I guess it, it makes sense, but it is, you know, just the latest on our better luck next year list. And yeah, uh, we will, what, what did they say? We will scream inside our hearts. Yeah. I'm going to miss it. I got very sensitive um, this week, or at least more sensitive than I thought I would looking back at, cause you know, everyone was posting old comic-con pictures. Yeah. So I went and I did the same and I, I was surprised how, how emotional that made me. It's a, you know, it's a very important time of the year for us. It's a, it's an annual tradition and it, it's one that I have loved almost every single second of. <laughs> I don't share quite that level of enthusiasm, yeah. uh, but I, I have been also surprisingly emotional. Somebody posted like a selfie of them in San Diego now where it's all empty compared to oh, last I saw year. That. It genuinely hurt my heart, which I didn't I know. I didn't appreciate that. <laughs> no, it was quite hurtful. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is nice to see everybody sharing their memories. And um, sometimes a little reflection is good because it is in practice such a hustle and go, mm-hmm. go, go, go. So it, it's it's perhaps to look at the silver lining nice that we're all taking time to appreciate what we loved about it. That's true. I mean... You know, as much as it sucks to not have the things we love, maybe they'll even maybe they'll be even better for us having missed them. Right. Certainly I don't know. For granted less. Reaching for that silver lining. Desperately. <laughs> All right. You want to get into James Wan? Let's do it. So do you want to go? Do you have your own rank list? I do. Okay, so do you want to you want to just go back and forth, and we'll start with mine because it's already published, and we'll go like nine nine eight eight blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Okay, here we go. So my number nine, I wonder if this is where we're going to align, is Dead Silence. Yes, I went into my rewatch of Dead Silence with the most open mind imaginable. Like I knew I've watched it a couple of times over the years, and I knew that after my last rewatch, like, I didn't really, I didn't like it. I just don't like it. It's dreary. It's dull. I don't think uh, the color palette, which is kind of, you know, in line with some of James Wan's other atmospheric choices. I just don't think it works in this case, but I was still holding out hope that like, maybe I would find a special spark that I missed this time around, but no, I like, I still don't. I think the, you know, maybe the idea of the ventriloquist uh, dummy being a horror villain and the mythology around Mary Shaw had some potential, but it doesn't really go anywhere all that interesting. And I find all of the hero characters just completely dull and uninteresting. Yeah, I, I think it's like um, 
it feels like a prototype in some ways because it, it does have some of the hallmarks of what Juan went to be known for, but they didn't, are not functioning really. Um, and it, it also, I think it sort of represents a lot of in practice, what critics of James Wan tend to say a lot, like aesthetics over character, mm -hmm. spooky designs, but weak payoff. And I usually completely disagree with those things, but here I think it's very true. Like it is all aesthetic and it does feel like a development of aesthetics we saw reused in different ways. Obviously he has a thing for puppets, which we see in Saw. <laughs> um, and I, I think that Mary Shaw shares a lot of resemblance to what we get in. Yes, she does. <laughs> so like I said, kind of a prototype situation. It's not there yet, but it was a draft. Yeah. That's a good way to describe it. I feel like I'm going to bring back the prototype thing at some point <laughs> when we find another filmmaker's prototype. Right. I'm sure there are many out there. Yeah. That really makes me sad about this movie is like, I'm always, I don't know. I guess I'm just always kind of rooting for Ryan Quanton. Oh, um, no. And he just, cause he was so good on true blood and I don't feel like much after that has found the right way to use him. Yeah, no, I would I would totally agree with that. I mean, other than Dead Silence, now that I'm thinking about it, I haven't seen a lot of his work. I mean, I know there was one title that he promoted at Comic-Con, like, I think maybe during my very first Comic-Con even, that like, I don't even remember the title of. But he just, I don't know. Actually, I see now he's in Sacred Lies, or was in Sacred Lies. Did you watch that? My mom was really into that show. I should ask her to give me a Ryan Quanson review. Yeah, absolutely. How, how's he doing? I'm trying to remember what that, that stupid movie was. I can't believe I can't remember what it's called. Did this like Australian action Western within the last decade? I'm going to try to find it. That was pretty good. Uh, oh. I never saw Knights of Badassdom. I never did either, but I oh, I found the movie. It's oh. Griff, Griff the Invisible. Nope. That <laughs> is definitely, that's definitely the movie, but I can't tell you a single thing about it. <laughs> I don't remember it at all. Well, now I'm having your problem where I can't find the uh, Australian film I was looking for. Maybe it's Red Hill. Anyway, he was pretty good. Oh. Um, I think you might be right on that. Yeah, and and I remember liking it and being impressed with him playing like a decidedly not comedic character. Mm -hmm. But it's it's one of the only times I've seen people try to take that element out of him and have it really work. Hmm. Huh. I feel like I need to like maybe rewatch that or something. It's not amazing, but it was solid. All right, um, I mind one one good Ryan Quanton film in my life. He was so good in True Blood, and I really he was. He was. He made me laugh probably more than anyone on that show. Yeah, I could definitely see that. <laughs> All right, you ready for number eight? I am. So, guys, this is this is my list. You don't have to agree with my list. You can have your own list. We don't have to agree on how we feel about certain movies. I know there's a lot of people out there who really enjoy this movie, and I know I'm looking at one of them right now, and I 100% respect that. But I also understand it. 
because on my rewatch of Aquaman, I was able to tap into the excitement of that fantasy action adventure vibe that the movie has. And I, I totally get the appeal. That was not the same thing that would necessarily appeal to me though. And I think it's probably very evident in the fact that my favorite scenes in that movie, to name a few of them, are the opening. I love, I love the rooftop fight ch- chase sequence. And I also love the stuff on the boat near the trench. Those are my three favorite sequences in Aquaman, and all of them take place above sea level. That is where the movie excelled for me, and I had a very difficult time fully getting into all of the stuff that happened below. And I know that is a massive challenge, and I really do think James Wan did a pretty solid job, but it wasn't it wasn't successful enough to fully get me to like believe in that world and believe in those characters and their motivations and, you know, lose myself in them and their mission as much as I was the world he was creating, if that makes sense. I mean, you know, actually bringing back dead silence to me, a lot of the stuff that happened under sea, it was more about like, look at this world, look at these things. And I didn't really get enough character development there. And also I'm an Aquaman newcomer. Like I didn't know anything about the mythology beforehand other than what was given to me in the other feature films that Jason Momoa's Aquaman was, was in. And that's very, very minimal there. Yeah. So when I was being introduced to that world, all of these things were new to me and I wanted to like sit and really appreciate a place or a person and there's so much that needs to be covered in this that that's not possible. And that's not James Wan's fault. But the point of the matter is what this movie is just didn't work for me. But I could see how it works for other people. That's why it's my eight. Yeah, you're, I mean, we're going to say that it's much, much higher than on my list. I, I know. The target audience for this movie. Like, I uh, love kooky, over-the-top action-packed adventure fantasy stuff. I um, I just love worlds of wonder. And I, I'm not, <laughs> when it comes to movies like that, I'm like not super hung up on all of the character arcs being as good as I might want in a tighter film. And um, I will say that it could be a tighter film. It mm-hmm. is so much. Um, and and I, I'm personally not a huge fan of, movies over two hours unless they really need it um but i just love it i have so much fun with it i i really there's not even anything like detailed or insightful i can say because it just boils down to like i have such a good time and i do i i think that when you go underwater it's definitely more of a fantasy element where above ground is more of a traditional um adventure film mm-hmm. and I could see why you would like that. And I do think it's the most special element, I think, because adventure films are for some reason not happening much right now. You know, we have um, like, I feel like national treasure was the last big one that really did well. And, or, you know, the, the second one did well too, but um, we're just not, 
getting those. And I, I really like that vibe. I miss it a lot in Hollywood. I'm very hopeful for Jungle Cruise whenever that comes out. Oh, um, yeah. Because I think Wame Pole Sarah is like an underrated genius of B-movies. Um, like he's just a fucking beast with a B-movie and I live for it. That he is. Um, but yeah, so I, I love Aquaman. I love all the dumb stuff. Like the dumbest humor is my favorite stuff. Him eating the flowers and ridiculous fish out of water nonsense like that. Um, I, I love the dumb drumming octopus. I love the... Even the action scenes underwater are pretty stupid, and I love them. <laughs> they just look like I, I can't. I know it's kind of the point that it doesn't have the same gravity. Gravity, but as people who live on Earth, it makes it very hard to like feel anything. And I know he worked really hard to give it that sense, but it's just it's mm-hmm. ridiculous. I like that. Um, I respect that. I think my favorite joke in the whole movie is one that they revealed. I think it was an extended trailer, but it's when they're uh, when they're in the desert and they got to wet the thing. And he goes, it could have just peed on it. Like, for, for whatever reason, that one gets me every single time. That works for you. <laughs> I don't know. It is very dumb. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm super into Aquaman. It's much, much higher on my list. But I think this is kind of an interesting point where we maybe see that I'm more partial to goofy kooky James Wan than you are. Yeah. Uh, because you are not going to like my number eight. <gasps> the Conjuring 2. Okay. Which I find a bit, there are kooky things in there, but they're out of place in the tone of the film. And I find the rest of the film to be a bit dire in a way that doesn't land like the first Conjuring. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not as interested in that family I it just it really doesn't cohere for me as a film there are things I like about it but it doesn't come together as a whole that I enjoy very much and that mm-hmm. I really ever choose to revisit I I can't refute what you just said because even though The Conjuring 2 is much higher on my list and I really would recommend re-watching it I've watched it quite a few times since it came out, but I re- I rewatched every movie on this list before I wrote it, and that meant that I rewatched The Conjuring like last week, and I think the last time I had seen it before then was maybe like a year before, and I don't know, part of me was like a little worried that it wouldn't hold up, but I think it exceeded my rewatch expectations, but when you say it doesn't come together as well, I think that's its biggest flaw. In the first movie, I think the story of the Warrens and the Perrin family, like as their own family entities, work really well on their own. And then they come together seamlessly. Here, that's not really the case. And I think it has to do with the messiness of the Valak situation. Hmm. The reasoning why those two things come together, how they figure out that they're coming together it it doesn't work nearly as well as some of the revelations in the first movie. That is hands down the biggest weak spot for me, but I I still do think that the Hodgson family, like the Perrin family is extremely well established and also has a fantastic ensemble. So it's like the second I meet those sisters, I freaking love them and I'm rooting for them and I don't want anything bad to happen to them. And when you get to learn even more about that family dynamic, you fall even harder for them. And then meanwhile, it's, 
It's Ed and Lorraine Warren, played by Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson. They're building on the foundation they created in that first movie. And I think they're taking those two characters in a very interesting direction as far as, you know, testing their devotion to each other and their devotion to their line of work. So I think those two entities are so, so strong. It's just when the narrative has to bring them together, the reasoning behind it is a little messier. So it does pale in comparison to the first Conjuring, but I still think it works really well. I, I likewise can't really refute what you said, except the opinion part, which is that I, I don't find it to work as well. Uh, man, ads playing on Collider somewhere. Hold on. Oh, I have it on mute and it's still playing. Okay. It's gone. I didn't even touch anything. I've had this article open the entire time. <laughs> All right. Um, in terms of like the tonal jarring stuff, I know that the, the Crooked Man is like one of the really popular parts of that film. But to me, it feels like it belongs in an insidious film, not a conjuring film. It's so tonally out of place for me that it didn't work. No, that's fair. I mean, the, the design, the design of that versus every other evil entity that you've seen in a conjuring film up until that point, it, it's different. It's completely different. I still like it because I think it's cool. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it is cool. <laughs> and I will watch that spinoff if it ever happens. As will I. But yeah, that's just... It's all very cool, but it doesn't add up to much for me. All right. I hear you. I hear you. I Number just that, like, everything starting at eight, I quite like. There's nothing like... Except for Dead Silence. That's the only one I don't like. Having... Rewatched Aquaman, I think I could say the same thing. Yeah. If I hadn't rewatched all the movies, I, you know, I have to admit that I might not have said that, but on rewatch, I, I will say, yeah. Yeah, it's just, um, you know, The Conjuring 2 isn't really for me. It's not something I tend to, like, during the Halloween season, I'm like, no, I don't have to get that in. I'm good. I'll watch it at some other point, um, which for me is a, a bar of a horror movie I really love is if I watch it every Halloween. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, I do kind of like it. I just don't, you know, it's, it's all right. But yeah, everything from here on out, I either kind of like to full on love. Okay. Yeah. Which is weird when you're at number eight. <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of really is, actually. I think we have the same, do we have the same seven? Mm, I believe we do. Yes, 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 yes. What you got? Death Sentence? Yeah. Yeah. I think this movie's so underrated. Agreed. I totally understand it goes a little off the rails in the end where it starts to feel like a different movie with a different lead character because he goes from, you know, an everyday father out for vengeance to, you know, essentially coming the coming across as like a trained hitman to a point. So it gets it gets a little crazy and I think that's where you see where you see the thematic elements not really coming through like they should have, but as far as it simply being a story of like a father who loses his son and wants to get back at the gang of people who took his child from him. It works exceptionally well. It is so well shot too. It is so well shot. The score, I think this is Leonetti here who him and him and James Wan just have like next level collaboration together. I can't believe it. The parking structure sequence is incredible. It's, um, I think that the flaws you pointed out are 
very much related to the flaws I was going to say, which is that in a lot of ways, we've seen this movie way too many times. It's cliched. And that whole like normal guy becomes the fucking angel of death and vengeance is really played out. And we just don't believe it like we used to when Charles Bronson did it. Um, but what he brings on a technical level to a very over-familiar film, I think is really stand out and just like showcases what a, a visual artist he is and what a knack he has for filmmaking that feels propulsive and energetic and um, gripping and definitely shows some of the, you know, when you talk about prototypes, this is not as much a prototype, but you definitely see flourishes of what he would really blow out in Furious 7. Mm -hmm. You know, his ideas of how much you can do with a car chase and things like that. Um, it's really solid. It's totally underrated. And it's it's one of those things where it's like, again, it's not one of my favorite movies of all time, but I do like it. I do think it's very overlooked. I feel like there are too many, you know, James Wan fans out there who have never given death sentence a chance so if you happen to be one of them i do recommend playing this one because also if it's been like 10 years since you watched it because i definitely didn't look at it the same way uh the first time i saw it as a rewatch i was i was really surprised when i rewatched it for the list i watched it with my parents and i was surprised how into it my mom was <laughs> Nice. Because it's oh. not like uh, on paper, I would just say like that is not your kind of movie. <laughs> but I really, I really do think that I know we all have our our genre preferences, but I feel like if certain like base level things are well done, like any kind of story can hook anyone, and I think they they achieve that really well in the first act of that film. Well, I mean that's like the whole gist of how game of thrones became so popular right like nobody took high fantasy seriously but all the inner workings were so strong people got hooked anyway exactly Uh, i also i feel like this movie represents a part of james wan's stylings that we don't get to see as often that's also in saw which is this more like gritty noir thriller Mm -hmm. approach and i would love to see him make something like that again I think he tried to do that a little bit in Dead Silence with the uh, the detective angle. Oh yeah, that just comes across as like hokey with the with the the razor. No, it's funny. Actually, I was gonna say specifically, I want to see him make another movie where there's no like um, magic or superhero or demons or paranormal. It's just like a straight up human thriller. I wouldn't mind watching that. Yeah. I am, I'm also like down for everything James Wan wants to do. I mean, like, like we didn't even really tee this up. I know he's made a name for himself in the horror genre, but whether it's a horror movie or something in another genre, he has proved that he is just a naturally gifted storyteller, period. Like, even if you gave him, I don't know, like, like a comedy tomorrow, I really do think he could probably direct the crap out of a good script. I bet he could. Yeah, and we've we've talked many times about the relationship between comedy and horror. So yes, be excellent at crafting laughs. <laughs> I wouldn't mind seeing him take that challenge. All right, number six. He's a funny man. Like he's he's easy to laugh. He's a good yeah, dude. He's delightful. Yeah. Well, I guess yeah. We all know that from Aquaman. He is a goofy dude. <laughs> <laughs> Do we align on six? 
I don't think we do. Do you want to say yours or you want me to go first? You go. Insidious chapter two. Oh, we actually do a line. Oh, okay. Um, I'm a, I'm a diehard Insidious fan, as in the first Insidious. I got extremely obsessed with that mythology, that family, with Elise, with the style of the movie, in particular, the, uh, the score and sound design, I think is probably hands down some of the best in the genre of all time. I was very, very excited about Insidious Chapter 2. And having gone in super excited, I was really I was really satisfied with the chance to be able to reunite with this family and this group of characters to step deeper into the further and understand it more. But this is, I think it suffers from a similar problem as Conjuring 2, but I think it's more detrimental here where you've got these two things happening and they're not really coming together all that well. Whereas the first one, I think, excelled because of the simplicity. It was the Lambert family. Dalton went into a coma and then these these things latch on to him and they go into the further. Here, you've got like all the stuff with Renee and Josh, then they go off and they solve this mystery as like to figure out why like Josh was, uh, was kind of uh, taken by this entity to begin with. And it it's, I think it all makes sense in the end. Cause one of the things that always impresses me about this movie is that when it does come to a conclusion, I think that it's aha moments do land quite well, but the journey to get there is I guess I would say a little confusing. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right. So like the mental gymnastics I had to do to figure out where this went on the ranking was really tough for me because I quite love this movie. Um, I think it's just that I, I really could not place it above what comes after it. Although ask me again tomorrow and the one coming next, and this might be flipped. Um, what I, so, you know, Insidious has these two tones to it, kind of, that is what a lot of people didn't like, is that it gets less scary at the end, and it gets weirder and kookier when they Mm -hmm. actually go into the further. Um, I love that. And I feel like the second one is firmly rooted in that second half tone. And this is, again, me loving kooky Wan. Uh, I also should signal out, you know, a lot of, not always, not Aquaman, uh, a lot of Kooky Wan comes out when he's teamed up with Lee Wanell. Um, and Lee Wanell has a fabulous sense of humor. I just like how, I don't know, it, uh, it's like maybe pulpy is the right word for this movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. It, it really leans in. Like, think about Patrick Wilson's performance. Like, oh. it leans in. I love that about it. He does. Um, and I like that it, I guess I could see what you mean about being a bit confusing, but I like that it, they decided to go, well, if this is going to be a franchise, we're going to give it a proper mythology. And they really filled it out. I don't think it's as scary. I think it's funnier. Um, Patrick Wilson is, of course, phenomenal, as he always is when he's working with James Wan. Or just always is. Let me cut that end of the sentence off. <laughs> um, yeah, I have so much fun with it. And, and maybe maybe I do wish it was a little scarier, a la the first one. And maybe I do wish the relationships were a little tighter. 
but it is a movie that I am inclined to watch at Halloween. <laughs> okay. No, that's that. I get it. I get it. I, it's, it is interesting in discussing these, just seeing like what our natural preferences are. Cause I definitely veer towards the scarier insidious. Like I love ranked higher, but I'll, I'll get to it when we get to the first one a little more in depth, but like those, those sound stingers, I love the fact that they still make me jump. They're good. So I think we might have the same number five, too, then. I think we do. Furious 7. That's the one. Yeah, this movie is wild. And, like, you know, I know know a lot of the conversation when James Wan got this gig was, like, he's the low-budget horror director. He can't do that. And I know that he does do some of what he does in Furious 7 in Death Sentence, but, you know, to a lesser degree. But you can connect the dots there. But still, a Fast and Furious movie is a completely different beast on a completely different level with a huge ensemble and so much shit going on. And he nails all of it. Like I think it being number five on my list comes down mostly to the fact that it's like a kooky, crazy, wild, furious seven movie. And also the fact that the other four movies I think are quite excellent, but he really does handle it so insanely well where he makes all of these wild batshit, crazy action sequences, super intense, even though they're absolutely ridiculous. But I also think he really does take the time to, and I know this is going to make everyone laugh, but amplify what is at the heart of the Fast and Furious movies, which is family. I think that that chemistry, that cast chemistry comes through so much here. And just the combination of him excelling in both sectors makes this one of the best Fast and Furious movies for me. Yeah, part of the mental gymnastics on the ranking was like, oh, I really like Insidious 2. And I don't know, do I, would I rather watch that than Furious 7 and going, well, they're completely different movies. Yep. And then going, I like Insidious as a franchise, but Fast and Furious is one of my favorite franchises of all time. And this is one of my favorite movies in the franchise. I just, it's, um, I can go so deep on Fast and Furious, but like, um, there are not, many filmmakers who have been able to step in and do it right. Mm -hmm. And he was maybe arguably the one. And I I mean, aside from Justin Lin, who does it, who set the bar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I just, I, I, I agree with the family. And I think what I really wanted to flag about this and what was a deciding factor for me was how he pulled off the ending to an impossible ending yep. and that takes not just like ingenuity and and really thinking outside the box but an attention to those core elements you talk to a respect for them which is not easy to come by because it is when you hear family it makes people laugh but it is the heart of the whole thing it is why i earnestly love the franchise so much and you have to respect that take it seriously and find a way to honor it while also honoring Paul Walker, uh, not leaving your audience in a total bummer mood at the end of it. It was just an impossible thing to do. And he did it beautifully. Yeah. That, that ending still makes me cry every time I watch it. And, and also like, it's, it's not just about him being a good filmmaker in every single department. It's also, you know, being a good leader of, 
of your cast and crew going through something like that. So the fact that he was able to lead them all through that and end that movie the way they did, like I will never stop being super impressed by that feat and just how well they all pulled it off. It's a genuinely like a historical accomplishment in movie making. I could not agree more. Also just as a fan of the franchise, perfectly done. Yeah. Exactly what I needed to leave that film. I feel the exact same way. I think we can skip my number four because it's the conjuring too. Oh yeah. So yeah, the, I, I think, Conjuring 2 being at number four for me pretty much comes down to what you were just describing. It's like, if I was to put a movie on right now, like, even though I do love Furious 7, like, I'm just more inclined to put on a Conjuring movie. I just can't help it. So that's part of the reason why it stacks up a little higher for me. Well, this worked out perfectly because we can also skip mine, which was Aquaman. Oh, that does work out perfectly. And then I have a feeling, do we have the same end to this list? No, because you're going Because why? Because I cheated. You cheated? You would call it cheating. I call it a tie. You cheated. Um, <laughs> all right. So I, I guess I'll give my number three. Go for it. Saw. Mm-hmm. Saw admittedly has an edge because I think it's a genius concept. And I also am wildly impressed by what they were able to accomplish on a minimal budget and just making the most out of every little bit of story and every teeny tiny resource they had along the way. So I am wildly impressed by it as a production in that respect. I will say though, whenever I rewatch saw there, there's certain bits of it that I'm like, like, Nope, like, James Wan wasn't quite there yet. The things that I get most hung up on, it's mostly it's mostly story structure type things. I tend to get very aggravated with all the flashbacks. Like mm-hmm. I understand why they're needed and how they contribute to the big picture there, but I don't think it all flows well together. So, you know, even though I have saw very, very high on the list, it is not without flaws, but you can't stop a core concept like that. Even though I can recognize those flaws, every freaking time I put this movie on, like, I am locked in. And even though I've seen it more times than I can count, I am scanning every single corner of, like, those super rich, well-designed frames looking for clues and just watching body language and behavior. And I don't know, I... I, I it makes me a little... It makes me a little sad sometimes watching Saw... And seeing how they muddied up the combination between like detectives and Jigsaw and just the mythology they created around Jigsaw and his core purpose from the very beginning. Because it was so pure and it felt so right at the beginning. And then the scares took precedence and some of the scares do still entertain me quite a bit right now. But they lost something that this first movie had that made it very special. I'll tell you what it was. It was restraint. There you go. Restraint. Uh, There's a lot of restraint here. Uh, it's so special because it actually is nowhere near as violent as people think it is. Yeah. It has very disturbing violent concepts, but they're rarely shown on screen. The things we do tend to see on screen are pretty quotidian, like people getting shot. We see that mm-hmm. in all kinds of movies. That's not a horror thing. Um, mostly the really grotesque imagery is in your own head mm-hmm. it's suggested to you 
And I think that's way more powerful um, because when I watch the other Saw movies, I just turn away, right? But you can't turn away from what's in your head. Um, I I think it's so good and so strong. I see what you mean about he's not quite there yet. Um, this is for me, I, I tied it with Insidious because I, I just went back and forth so many times swapping them that I was like, I clearly hold them both in the same regard and it's mm-hmm. stupid to try to put a number on something I bet on. Um, it's also a very special one for me because I have so many fond memories attached to it. Like I, I remember very specifically the first time my best friend and I watched the trailer and we were like, Oh fuck, what is that? Uh, we were so excited. We counted down the days we were there opening night. Like that was an event film in that year of my life. Uh, and that's very special to me. And I, uh, you know, you've got to give credit to the innovation of something that did dominate the the horror film industry for so long. Yeah, it's it's legacy is definitely a big part of this. Yeah, I mean, I may not be fond of the sequels past two, but I still give credit for the absolute mammoth force in dictating the direction of cinema for a decade. Yes. For cinema. There, there's, there's no not having great respect for that. Yeah. I mean, just from a business perspective, well done. <laughs> so, so you have uh saw an insidious tied at two slash three. And yeah, I guess technically they would both be number two and then it would skip to four. I think the easiest, some of the easiest, uh, parts of this list to pick for me were my one and two and my one is like next level. I mean, one of my favorite movies of all time and two is so firmly insidious. <laughs> I, I'm, I am obsessed, like still to this day, obsessed with that idea. Cause you know, we've had conversations about this before and I'm sure you could already tell that, you know, things like astral projecting, like, like I've never tapped into anything like that in my life, but I am, wildly fascinated by it and when you think about how they work that into this you know almost like a haunted house kind of vibe how well they do it it's just this is a movie that digs its claws in with uh mm, trying to think of the right word i don't know there's something about the inciting incident in this movie that has you go like what the fuck you know, yeah. all of a sudden he's in a coma and then shit starts to happen. And just those scares are so well executed. The fact that going back to what you said about Saw and Gore, I know this is a different type of scare, but we have a movie here that has no, no gore. It's literally just perfectly timed scares, stingers, your dedication to this family and you wanting Dalton to come out of the coma and you wanting them to survive. And also the knowledge that many out there believe that ability is real. And the fact that like people I know and trust believe that ability is real connects me to this scary scenario in a way that other movies can't. And I will never stop obsessively thinking about this movie for that reason. But I also think it is insanely refined and well done. Yeah, I do not, again, have quite the level of passion for it, you do. I, I love it, but I don't like love, 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 get obsessed. Yeah. With. Uh, I really think that now that we're in the top two, it's where you 
really see like Juan the horror set piece mastermind come out. And I just can't think of many films on the level of Insidious where when I think of the movie, such a barrage of imagery of different scenes that really got me pop up all yeah. in my head. And to the point where I'm like, when I was thinking about this, I was like, what scene do I want to talk about? And I'm like, what is this one? This one, this one, I love this one. Uh, there's so much excellent craftsmanship in this movie that I just like, I'm kind of in awe of how it even, just cause it's also classical, right? We should yeah. know the gag by now, but it works. And the, the, I guess the two that I will single out are pretty obvious. It's tip through the toe, through the toe. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, you know how people always talk like about seeing hereditary for the first time and like, when did you notice her on the ceiling? That's how I feel about the boy in that scene. (laughs) Super early and then listen to the crowd, see him later and react. Uh, And I love that shit. I, I like that. He like, I don't know, subliminally starts to make you scared before you know what you're scared of. And then, of course, the uh, walking, walking, walking. Mm -hmm. Come on. So effective. Really anything with the red-faced demon gets me. I think that's some of the best creature design we have, period. Oh, yeah. And I cannot allow us to move on without signaling. Single out. Hi. Friday. Friday, it's fine. Friend, not my end. Singling out Lynche, who, who, like, makes the movie, in my opinion. That movie does not work if Elise doesn't work. You have to trust her, love her, and first you have to feel comfort, and then having your comfort taken away gives you the true sense of fear. Mm -hmm. Because you think she can do anything, and then she... What she accomplishes in Insidious, I think, is also so vital to making Insidious 2, which is a much more ambitious, bigger idea work, because they do some pretty crazy things with that character that shouldn't work. Like, if you told me about it just verbally or even gave me an outline of that script, I'm like, no, no, no. But it's Lin Shay in that role after what she established in the first Insidious. So I think you also see the effects of how good she is in this first movie and the second one, too. I also want to um, highlight that it's Poltergeist, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm actually not really a Poltergeist fan. That's my hot take. Oh, really? uh, it's just never really worked for me. I think it's a sweet movie, but it just doesn't. It, I don't put it on at Halloween. Okay. Okay. Um, that was, that was one of my my first good scares as a kid. I hear that a lot, and it I grew up watching Poltergeist a lot. Did nothing for me. Nothing. I used to be like I don't, I don't think we're we're old enough to have had the the late were we old enough to have the late night shut off or something you know when the TVs the networks went out late at night mm. I, I think because so, I would always fall asleep to Nick at night I guess I would too I don't I don't even I don't think we ever had that but there was something about that in that movie that really scared me and I think that also crossed over over to I used to be. I think it's more this than the shutoff in the middle of the night, but I used to be really afraid of the emergency alert system coming on and catching me off guard. And I just, I've always like connected the two things like that. Like as a kid, that was the time where like the entities were going to speak to me through the static. 
I don't know. It makes no sense at all. But when you're a teeny tiny child watching Poltergeist and sleeping in a bedroom in the dark by yourself, that's what happens. I love that. That's like primal stuff. It was. Uh, I don't get that anymore. And I kind of miss it. Have more nightmares. That's where all that primal stuff that doesn't oh, yeah. make sense comes out. I don't. Uh, <laughs> even though this is, it's like a, it is Poltergeist. Like, yeah, uh, Elise is, is Zelda's character, right? Yeah. Like, this is. He's following a, a very well-known uh, template. I love this movie, and I don't like Poltergeist, and I think that says a lot about the film, because even though I don't care for the template, I love this film. I like that you like this one. Yeah, and oh. before we move on, just one last shout-out, because like I said, there are a million scenes. The, the freaking, um, what's it called? The Where you commune with the dead, with the mask, and the, the seance. My goodness, yeah. the seance. Come on. It's so good. <laughs> It is great. It's a great sequence. Yeah. They're just so many. They really are. I mean, it kind of makes me want to go back, rewatch it, and list all my favorite scenes, but I'm not going to do that because this list was really hard to put together. Last one? Last one. It it had to be. The Conjuring. Of course. The Conjuring. Oh, man, this this movie just, like, floored me. Like, I don't even know where to start because everything about this movie, I think is on another level. I all right, I think I think I'll start by saying one of my favorite things about this movie is I mean, I'm sure you felt this. As a diehard horror fan, there are folks in our lives that just say, eh, I'm not really into horror. Mm-hmm. That doesn't matter here. There's great scares, but the fact that it puts the families, the characters first, I think makes this movie for anybody. And it doesn't lean on cheap scares. It earns every single one. And when you have a movie that does that, it doesn't matter if you're a horror fan or not. It is just plain old good, effective storytelling. And it's going to grip you no matter what your preferences are. All right. Yeah. I'm going to let you go before I start rattling off like a million different things on my list. <laughs> well, I was just having a reaction in my head because I'm like, you're not wrong but i do think it's scary enough that i would not tell certain people to watch it um like just i know for a fact that my aunt is still traumatized to stay by the exorcist so she doesn't like any oh. demon shit okay so never tell her well, that's, that's fair if like you have a specific yeah. thing like that don't <laughs> i I, but I get what you mean. You don't have to be a horror fan to appreciate the character work. That's just why I also think that when you're looking at the box office, it didn't just make a good amount for a horror movie. Like it, that those numbers clearly show that it had a much wider reach than most. And once again, uh, that sort of like business awe of launching something that defined a new era in horror. Mm-hmm. Like really impressive work in that regard. It's also one of those movies where you're just like, again, the technical craftsmanship is beyond. And, and when it comes to like his gift for making you afraid of things that aren't there, like yeah. making you have it in your head. I think my all time favorite set piece of his, one of the scariest moments in movies is the dark spot by the door. Yes. Scary shit. I put that on my list. It's hands down. One of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. And That also deserves a really big applause for Joey King because so much of that rested on her shoulders and her performance. If she didn't believe, we don't believe. Yeah. So when I think about like um, the bear trap in Saw, 
Yeah. That is in your head. You don't actually see it happen in that film. They save that for the uh, sequels that have no restraint. Um, But the imagery of the bear trap does the heavy lifting there. No offense to the editing, which is very important. And Amanda Smith's performance is very, uh, I mean, is that right? Did I just make that up? Um, I'm going to be able to pull that name in a second. Uh, like it's on the tip of my tongue. The character is Amanda, right? And you just like, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna look. Shawnee Smith. Shawnee Smith. Okay, because like I knew you had something right because there was something that I was grabbing onto. I just have to make sure that's correct. Amanda Young is the character played by Shawnee. Smith. Shawnee Smith. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So all of that's important, but the imagery of the reverse bear trap does the heavy lifting there. That is not available to Joey King. It is all her and mm-hmm. it's on the spot. And and score. Oh my god, the score. <laughs> it's on her. And she's a kid. And she's phenomenal. All the kids in this movie are phenomenal. Oh, they're so good. But she definitely had, I think, to do the hardest part there. That's like, yeah, oh my god. Without a doubt. That's um, like acting Olympic shit. And playing scared, believably, is hard enough in the first place, but to play it that way with nothing to help you <laughs> I can't even imagine. The only time I ever played scared was in that fantasy movie league ad that played before movies and movie theaters. Remember those? And it was just like, like it, it's more of like a comical version of being scared. Right. Like I didn't know what I was doing, <laughs> but hopefully it was effective enough. There's well, no let's talk about how hard it is to play drunk and stoned. I think scared is just as hard. No, that's fair. I, w- I wouldn't know. I don't try to do these things. I know I have no skills there. Most people don't even feel real fear on that level in their life you know they feel like existential dread or vague fear of the other but they don't feel like this there's a ghost that's gonna kill my family type Mm -hmm. fear so this that's pulling from something that like you literally might not even have a reservoir for (sighs) i'm just blows my mind uh, blows my mind the whole movie but i did have to focus in on that scene which i think is one of the scariest scenes ever Definitely up there. I mean, there's there's also so much camera work. We were talking about the score before, and also it's like it's worth mentioning that Joe Bashar did the score, and he also plays a lot of James Wan's evil entities too. So he's doing double duty in so many of these movies. But the score here is excellent. This is another uh, Leonetti shot film, and there are some visuals in this where like. I love so this is a, a James Wan thing, the the roving camera through the house to introduce a family and a location. But I still think one of my absolute favorite shots in this movie is the the staircase flip. When you follow a character going down the stairs and then back up the stairs, it's like just one little moment of the film, but that technique and that way of capturing it creates like so much like unease and nerves. There's something about it that kind of like, like puts you off balance. And I don't know. I think it's just like a very effective shot and a beautiful one. I could not agree more. I, it's a beautiful movie until it's not. And then it's not in all the best ways. Yeah. Also when you, you know, going back to number nine, which was the prototype, I feel like this is the finished end game. Like, this is where it all comes together, where he fully masters his aesthetic, his grip of mythology character work. Um, There is an investigative element with the Warrens. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Warrens are such 
just the work that Patrick and Vera do with that couple is genuinely sublime because you feel like you're in love with them. Yeah. Like not, not you're in love with them. Like you are in their love with them. Yeah. They're as much about each of them as they do about each other type thing. Yeah. I think that's definitely the case with them. And I think it's the case with the parent family too. And then when they unite, you could feel the Warren's desperation, not just to get their job done, but to really help this family. And I think that's what makes the movie so powerful. And I also, um, right. So this being the, the end game product, it is at the end. I will never forget watching it for the first time and being like, did this just become a fucking action movie? Like the, the physical energy he brings to the third act is insane. And it does show off action prowess through like a horror lens. I think that's definitely true. This this is actually one of my favorite set visits I was ever on my entire in my entire life because it wound up being one of my favorite movies. But just thinking back to standing in that basement on that set, it's just like that. That's that's movie magic right there. Like, it looked looked great while I was standing there, but it's like I try to, like, think about that visual and then what they did in the final product. Like, especially when it comes to enhancing it with all that action, it was just, like, the whole lot. What? Was that on the lot? Yes, it was. Yeah. The the portion that we were visiting was um, a chunk of the house built on a soundstage. Yeah, so I did the Conjuring 2 set visit. Same thing. And it was just such a funny experience to be like in this nightmare house with the, they even had the, uh, you know, the front lawn built out with the swings and is a full working house type situation that looked like you were in a horror movie and then stepped out into a 2 p.m. Burbank summer. Like it was so funny and surreal. So it goes with movies. Right. Well, it's a testament to the set design and the, uh, Oh my God. Yeah work they put into making it cohesive because really until we walked out it was halloween right like we were in a different time not that the movie set during halloween but that's what it feels like oh yeah yeah haunted house Mm -hmm. i think that's something that's something that's true of pretty much every movie on this list I, i i do think that across the board james wan production design is usually like at a, at a level or well above it. Well, this will be my seventh time using the word, but he's a very aesthetic-driven filmmaker. That he is. And he has his, like, you know, his fixations in terms of what types of demons he likes to design. And mm-hmm. um, Before we do wrap, because I know we have to, I do just want to once again credit Lee Whannell for a lot of this. Obviously not all of it. And James Wan deserves his own celebration but i think it's really interesting to think on what a genius of high concept we mm-hmm. went with saw and insidious and then we saw in how he reinvented the invisible man and upgrade these are like i don't know high concept ideas seem like they would be easy but they are not mm-hmm. you get a good blumhouse movie versus a bad one and that tells you everything you know like it's very easy to say I'm going to turn a game into a horror movie or this horror movie is, I don't know, set in an airplane or whatever, but to pull it off and make it stick and make it something that demands a franchise is very tricky. Yes. Uh, uh, 
I, I do think that Lee Winnell tends to be undersung when we talk about the genius of James Wan. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, I feel like most filmmakers are lucky to have one film turn into a franchise. He's had more than one. And he's yeah. also earned the opportunity to join other ones, which is a huge accomplishment across the board. And I'll, I'll echo what you just said about Lee, too, because uh, he's obviously instrumental in a lot of these. But I just I'm a huge James Wan fan. I'm so happy we were able to do this. I can't wait for Malignant. I hope we get to see it sooner rather than later when appropriate. But the more James Wan films out there, the better, in my opinion. If you had your druthers, so I know it's Malignant and then Aquaman 2, what, what would be... If your your genre pick for him to go to next. Um, that's a very good question because I'm trying to think of like an out of left field example. I mean, part of me wishes he was directing the trench and not Aquaman two. I, you know, I, like I hate I hate admitting this because it feels like I'm boxing him in. But I will, I'll always be excited for a James Wan movie, period. But I'll always be a little more excited for a James Wan horror movie. Sure. I, I can't, I can't go any other way with it. I think I kind of spoiled my answer, but I would love to see him make a just dead ass thriller. Yeah. Uh, but I'm always like campaigning for the return of dead ass thrillers. Yes, you are. <laughs> I respect the dedication to that, though. I it's think we do more of them. Yeah. <laughs> And that's how we get like movies like Nightcrawler and Gone Girl. Our filmmakers who are like, I want to make a thriller. And I love it. Give me more. <laughs> All right, guys, let's hand it over to you now. Hit the comment section below and put your own James Wan movies ranked list right there. And, you know, again, I feel like it's worth saying this. Be kind to each other. You don't have to agree. You could have different opinions. It's no big deal. It's your list. It's your list. It's your preferences. And put whatever speaks to you in that comment section below. We really want to know what you think. We're never talking again. So <laughs> I certainly can't tolerate your Aquaman placement. It's over. Nobody out there would believe that in a million years. I'll talk to you like five minutes after we start. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for watching. Haley, where can everyone find your work on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Haley Fouch, on Instagram at Haystack McGroovy, and of course on Collider.com. And I am at P. Nemiroff on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to read the original list that uh, launched this episode, I've got the link in the description section of today's episode. That is it. We gotta go have a weekend. You've officially survived the witching hour. It's that little chico pitbull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide. And I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive. Brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you gotta play the game. So that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. 
So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary.